Spencer is going to read scripture for us this morning. Um, it's a very long passage we are doing. Oh, by the way, those who don't know me, my name is Sims, and I'm going to be sharing God's word with you this morning. Uh, Judges chapter 2, verses 6 through Judges chapter 3, verse 11. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. The people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Heres in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After the whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, another generation grew up who had neither known the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served Baals. They forsook the Lord, their, the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around them, who they, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of the, these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshipped them. They took quickly turned away from the, the ways of their ancestors, who had been obedient to the Lord's commands. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies, as long as the judge lived. For the, God, for the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died... The people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors, following other gods and serving and worshiping them. They refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and said, Because this nation has violated the covenant I ordained for their ancestors and has not listened to me, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed these nations to remain. He did not drive them out at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. The five rulers of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and all the Hivites living in Lebanon in the Lebanon mountains from Mount Baal Hermon to Lebo Hamath. They, they were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's commands, which he had given their ancestors through Moses. The Israelites lived among the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. They took their daughters in marriage and gave their own daughters to their sons and served their gods. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Kushan Rishithim, king of Aram Naharam, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. But when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. 
the spirit of the Lord came on them so that, when, so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Rashiatham, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him. So the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Canaz, died. Amen. Thank you, Spencer. That was a very long reading and a very long story. Um, but it's, got, it's very pointed to a few things that I want to share with you this morning as we start. So um, I'm, going to, I'm going to ask you to put your seatbelts on because it might be a rough ride for some of us as we hear things that we are not so sure if we want to hear this morning. Today I'm speaking under the topic, what about this generation and the next what about this generation and the next? We're seeing Joshua here. This is the book of Judges. We're seeing Joshua coming, and this is the end of his life. He dismisses them, and then um, it goes on and on. But I want to pick it up from the point where it says, the people served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had lived him, who had seen all the great things that the Lord had done for Israel. So the people did serve the Lord, but they served the Lord in the times of Joshua and the times of the elders who had lived Joshua. Joshua's legacy is a legacy of godliness. Joshua's legacy is a legacy of leadership, a truly man of God. I mean, in chapter 1, I think he's mentioned as Joshua, the man of God, which is a title which is usually just given to Moses. But in this title, he's given that title and that honor of Joshua, the man of God. Of God. So the Israelites are faithful during the time of Joshua. And during the time of his immediate successes, they are faithful. You know why they are faithful? Because it is much easier to serve God when somebody is looking over you. For them, at this point, it's much easier to serve God as, as long as the pastor or the leader is looking. The Bible teaches the pastors that we have, the leaders that we have, have a big influence in our life. And sometimes that influence, but at many times that influence, we think, yeah, it's leading us to a place where we are living in obedience. But I, I want to know, is it just inward obedience or is it just out, outward obedience? So we see these people serving the Lord because they had Joshua and they had these elders Sometimes we serve the Lord because we are afraid of being rebuked by the people we love or by the people that are leading us. This is not true service to God. When we start to serve God because we are afraid of what will people say, we are not serving God. That's not an independent relationship with him. A true relationship with God does not care who is watching a true relationship with God does not care who is there. We need to maintain our walk with the Lord regardless of who can see us. These people, they maintained their relationship because they knew that Joshua was there and those elders were there. And I want to encourage you. It's, it's in, it, we always encourage people, read the Bible, read scripture, spend time with God. But I want to tell you that don't do it. Because Sim said so. Don't do it because Ryan said so. Don't do it because your parents say so, young people. Do it because you want to grow. Do it because Jesus is calling you to do it. 
Do it because you want to do it. Do it because you have a relationship with Jesus. The personal relationship with the Lord is key in this issue. We need to learn to turn our eyes to God and not to men and women that are leading us. Joshua was a great leader, no doubt. And the people that followed him, the problem is that they focused more on Joshua, not on the greatness of God. Where is your focus today? Where is my focus today? And the reason why we are so downtrodden and, and I mean, destroyed, distraught when our leaders fail is because we've put so much stock on leaders than so much stock on God himself. Our leaders are there to help us. Yes, praise God for them. But when we put so much stock on our leaders, we make idols of them. Shane shared something with the youth that I really thought was a very good example. He was speaking about the, um, what were you talking about this past Sunday, Shane? It was the golden calf. And he said, he said this, he said, every morning when the children of Israel woke up and looked up the mountain, what did they see? Every morning, they saw the glory of the Lord that covered the mountain that they were afraid of. They saw that every morning. So they knew that God is there, tangible, they could see him. But what do they say? They go to, um, uh, to Aaron and say, we don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses. Now build us an idol. Build us this calf so that we can, we can celebrate and say he took us out of Egypt. But each morning they saw God. They saw his presence. But because they could not see their leader, they could not believe. And I want to challenge us. Our world today is so consumed with leadership personalities. The evangelical church today is consumed with personalities of our leaders. Watch out. We are not called for that. We are called to follow Jesus. We follow Jesus together with our leaders. And I want to encourage you that, yes, it's not bad that we have these leaders. It doesn't mean that they don't have an example to set for us. They do. But we are called to follow Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. And when we start to when we start to, to, to put our stock on people and personality, when we start, when the Israelites started to, to put their stock on their leaders, that's where idolatry started. It did not start with a calf. It did not start with following Baal. It started by putting somebody in the pedestal where God needs to be. Our leaders are never to be raised to a pedestal. I know that's very uncomfortable. Let's move on quickly before you stone me. After that whole generation had been gathered to the ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord or what he had done for Israel. This new generation that we see had no personal relationship with God. They had no personal awareness or experience of his power. God is somebody who related to their parents because they saw it in their parents. I'm going to speak about that later. 
But we hear that because they did not know all this, they went into apostasy. A few things to look at when you think about that apostasy. Number one, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. They did it. Number two, these are choices that they made. The Israelites served the Baals. They chose to serve. They were not forced. Number three, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed after, this is a willingness, they followed after the Baals and worshipped the virus gods of the people around them. In doing those things, those four things, they provoked the Lord to anger. Why would somebody choose to serve a God that they have made with their hands and leave out the real deal, God himself? It's very easy because the God that we've made with our hands, we can control him. Remember when, when, um, when the Philistines had the, the, the Ark of the Covenant in their temple after they had, uh, after they had uh, taken it and captured it from Israel, each time they, they came in the first morning and their God was face down before the Ark and they took him, they could control him, took him and made him stand. And then again, the next time they came, he was broken down and they realized, oh, there's a problem here. It is easy for us to look for a God that we can control because we love to control. We are people who love to control. And what God is calling us is to yield ourselves fully to him. And the people saw these gods who looked very cool because they could control them. And as well, the gods that we create are gods that we want and the gods that fulfill our sinful desires. And I'll show you how. They fulfill their desires. They serve the Baals. The Baal was thought to be the god of weather who controlled the weather. In an agricultural world, the weather is the money. The weather makes things happen. The weather makes the crops either die or grow. So if Baal is the god of the weather, then he is profitable. So what do they see there? They serve Baal because there is something to gain to Baal. The bottom line. Lining the pocket. They forsook God because they wanted personal enrichment with Baal. They forsook the Lord and served the Baals and served the um, Asherahs. And if you think of Asherah, the, the goddess, this was the goddess of love, of sex and fertility. It is said that he was, she was honored by the practice of ritual sex and prostitution. The bottom line there was sex and desires and love love so we create these gods that are wanted by our, 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 our desires and we hear that these people of israel the bible tells us goes on tells they followed other gods among the gods of the people who were all around them why is it that we don't hear that israel the people around israel followed israel's god was israel that weak 
And some of you might agree, oh, maybe yeah, Israel was weak. But today in the church, why is the church infiltrated by things from outside? And we don't hear that the church is infiltrating the world. In some countries, we hear that. But in our modern countries, in our modern societies where we live, in our contemporary societies, we don't hear that. What happened? Where did we lose it? We can laugh all about the children of Israel, but we are just the same. We can laugh at them. I used to laugh at the scripture where it says, they say to Moses, take us back to Egypt where we used to sit around pots of meat. I can see them doing that. The youth were laughing this past Sunday when they say to, <laughs> to, to Moses that, you know, in, it says that they went and they created this ball and they washed it and then they, they, went, they stood up and began to play. And the youth were laughing like, what were they playing? But it's, we don't realize that, yes, those might seem funny, but that's exactly what we are doing. Church, wake up. They forsook the Lord and followed these things. Pastor Ryan last week said something which I really loved. I think it's one of my favorite quotations. I told him, one of my favorite quotations that he has said since I've been here. Half-hearted obedience to the Lord always lead to wholehearted denial. When we give half and half, it leads to nothing. Today in our world, what is it that is the apostasy that we are facing? The pursuit of possessions and financial independence and false security. We live for comfort, for convenience, for quick gratification, for self-gratification. We live for greed, for obtaining more materialism. Number two, we are very secular. We are pluralistic. We mix it up. We are the garden salad. Mix it up. Don't just take this. Don't just take this only, you know. Don't just take this only, mix it up. Yeah, there are other things that you can build around this to make this worth it. That's what we do. And that's scary. It's scary how much we are so consumed. As I said, we're consumed with leaders. These leaders have written great things and amazing things, but we are so consumed with those things. Such that even before we consider what this says, we consider what does pastor or reverend so-and-so say, or doctor so-and-so, or professor so-and-so says. Yeah, it's great. They've got good things that can help us understand this, but this is the main thing. When we forget this, then we are just as pluralistic as the children of Israel. We are mixing it up. This is the time where the Bible says that they forsook the Lord and started to worship the created beings instead of the creator. And I want us to be aware that we are called to worship the creator, not the created things. The challenge in this, in this secularism, in this plurality that we have, is that does God have absolute claim on your heart today? Does God have the absolute claim to your heart today? Does God have the absolute claim to my heart today as I speak here? That's the question for me and you. The third idol I can think about is self. 
Self has been made the center of existence. We are so narcissistic and we love the narcissistic leaders and we follow the narcissistic things. Me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity, the pursuit of self-happiness and self-gratification. And in pursuit of that, we don't care who we step on as we go. We don't care who we dispose of as we go. Church, wake up. This is the apostasy of our church, the church of Jesus Christ today. The evangelical church, this is our apostasy today. There are some other things, but I, th- I chose to, to look at just those three. Number one, materialism. Number two, um, secularity plus pluralism. And number three, the idol of self. So what do we see from the children of Israel? We see this cycle that Ryan used last week. I really loved it. The cycle of that God does something for them. We see God saves them and restores these peace and prosperity. And then they start to compromise. They've got apathy and they compromise. It leads to rebellion and, and paganism. And then it leads to famine, war, and slavery when God is angry at them. And they cry and confess and repent to God, and then God hears them and restores them, and it happens again and again. But the whole thing is that it gets worse and worse with each time. It gets horrible and horrible with each time. We hear the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. He delivered them into the hands of those who would plunder them. And when we see this cycle, I want us to know that, yes, the cycle looks terrible, and this is what happened with Israel. This is What happens as well sometimes with us as the church. But I want you to know that God's grace is available for us. As much as God's grace was available for Israel, much more for us. His grace is available. But his grace is available, but it's not cheap. Do not cheapen it. Paul says, should I I continue in sin so that grace abounds much? No. We should not cheapen the prize of the grace of God. It cost Jesus his life. It cost God's son his life. That's how much grace costs. If you realize that, then you would know that it's not cheap. Don't cheapen it. And we see God punishing and punishing sin all the time, but it it and God's punishment of sin is not just the goal that you are punished and that's it. He is calling for repentance and true repentance. And it goes on and says, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges who delivered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. The Lord also was moved to pity by their groaning when they groaned. So often we tend to God when things are hard. We see Israel in that cycle. They tend to God when things are really hard. And that's us too. When things are hard, that's when we fast and pray. When things are hard, that's where we move closer to God. But I think that our God of the mountain should be God in the valley. Our God of hard times should be the same God in the good times. We should stop being complacent when things seem to be fine. The children of Israel, when they had a, if the Bible tells us in that cycle, we see that when they had a, a leader who had delivered them, everything was great until that leader died. 
We become so complacent. We become so complacent. Don't forget God when things are smooth. We need to thank God through the good times and through the bad times. We pray to him when we are well. We pray to him when we are sick. We pray to him when there is covered. We pray to him when there is no covered. The cycle should not keep repeating. We need to break the cycle. When true repentance does not happen, that cycle continues. And it becomes a spiral, worse and worse each time. Why? Because each level of sin we reach meets a certain temporal kind of like, and then we, then we start to yearn for more, and we yearn for more, and we yearn for more, and it becomes worse and worse. It becomes a pit of abyss. That's what children of Israel did, and that's what we're doing as a church when we don't go to God with true repentance. And God's desire for the children of Israel was that he can be in constant relationship with them and constant dependence on him, whether things were good or things were bad. We hear in verse 19 of chapter 2, it says, but when the judge died, the people tend to their ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. They were even more corrupt than those of the ancestors, following the gods and serving uh, and worshiping them. They refused to give up the practice of their stubborn ways. They refused to give up the patterns and the practices of their stubborn ways. The word stubborn in Hebrew is the word kawashesh. It comes from being hard to serve. It means, in a way, that they were stubborn against the Lord. And their hearts were hard against the Lord. And a hard heart results in a hard life. Remove the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh in me, O Lord. That's my cry for me, and that's my cry for us. That our hearts will not be hardened by our stubbornness. But God was always merciful. But thank God for his mercy. But thank God for his grace. But thank God for his gift of life. But thank God for his unfailing love. But thank God for his faithfulness to us, even when we are not faithful. Thank you, Lord. He's always ready to forgive. He's always ready to welcome us back home. He's compassionate. He's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abundant in mercy. I beg you, brothers and sisters, I beg my heart to tend to him, depend on him. And we see here as we go on that the children of Israel, it says, therefore the, Lord, the Lord's anger was hot against Israel and he sold them to the hand of Cushan, Rishathayim, the king of Mesopotamia, and the children of Israel served Cushan Rithayim for eight years. The God, gave, God gave them over to their desires, to just what they wanted. They didn't want to serve the Lord, so he gave them to this pagan king. They reap what they saw. The name of this king is very interesting because the name of this king is just the word Cushan means double of wickedness. He gave them to the king of double of wickedness. We'll talk about that later. 
But we see that. And then we go on to chapter, chapter 3 and we start to see that they start to intermarry with all these pagan people and their morals go down in that way. That reminds us of a king, Solomon, when he started to intermarry and things go down the drain and all those things. Uh, but it's a process. It starts with one step of like, oh, you know what? I can compromise this little thing. I mean, I can replace God with money for the time being. Um, I, it starts with small things, but it's progressive. And it goes, and it goes, it becomes bigger and bigger. There is no balance here, people. You can't balance in serving both God and something else. You can't balance serving God and a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You can't balance serving God and your wife or your husband. You can't balance serving God. All these are good things. They're great things. You can't balance God and serving yourself and your job and your career. All these are great things. But you can't put them in the same space, in the same balance scales with God. That's idolatry. That's exactly what the children of Israel were doing. One has to be first. God must be priority in our lives. And we see that as an important thing if we look at the life of the children of Israel. And in Judges chapter 3, 10 to 11, we find this man whom I like, the first judge. The spirit, his name is Othaniel. The spirit of the Lord came upon him so that he became Israel's judge and went with them to war. The Lord gave Kushan Rishadam, the king of Aram, into the hands of Othanel, who overpowered him so that the land had peace for 40 years until Othanel, the son of Kenaz, died. His name, Othanel, as I'm about to finish, means the lion of God. Othanel is a lion of God. This is a good picture of Jesus. Othanel is a lion of God. He's from the tribe of Judah. He's Caleb's nephew. He's from the tribe of Judah. But as well, we see that as well, not only that, we see that he is the judge, the lawgiver. We call Christ to come and be our lawgiver. We call Christ to come and be our judge and to save us. But does not, not only does Othaniel just become the lion of God and all those things, he serves them from this double wickedness. He conquers the double wickedness. It's a picture of Jesus conquering the double wickedness in the cross, the infinity of wickedness in the cross and in the grave. And we see that. And so thank God he had a plan already. Thank God he had a plan already. Thank God he had a plan already, church. Amen. One thing that I like about this lion of God is that his commission was not from men, but it was from the Lord himself. Let me read this. I thought I had headed up there. I didn't. The Lord delivered him to Ethaniel uh, um, Kushan Rutan to his hand. Now was Judah of the tribe of Ethaniel. He was the lion. We know that. But then we go on to hear that he was one of those people that had been there during the previous time. So he was the, of the old stock that knew that knew Joshua, that knew the elders that went past during the time of Joshua. But remember, we had him in chapter 1, where he asked if um, he, he, he married uh, 
um, was it Caleb's daughter? Am I right? And we hear about him. We hear that he was there. So he was there during that time. God brings this old stock back in. He had experienced God. And we know by this time, most probably he was advanced in years too. And my question is to us in this generation, as I close, is this. This is the question to us. Will, let me start with us. Does this generation know God? Do we know God? Knowing God, Steve always says this. I love Steve Willoff. He's got these things that he says that are like amazing. He says, knowing God is not taught, but it is caught. You can teach all you want and talk all you want, but if you don't walk it, your teaching is in vain, it's just words. And I want to encourage us as this generation, if we, this generation, think that, yes, we, we have an understanding, we know God, we have walked with God. Even the generation in your family, as I look at my kids, will they know God? Do I know God enough to pass this, to pass this treasure to them? It's easy for a generation that does not know God to walk astray. If we as this generation think that we know God, I want us to be challenged. What is the step for us for the next generation to know God? Knowing God is experiencing God. Do we know? Will they know? Will they catch it from us? Or they'll just hear the teaching from us? God is known by experience. A personal relationship. A personal experience with God. The generation that we heard of neither knew the Lord or knew what he had done for Israel. Does our generation know the Lord and know what he's done for us? Will the generation coming after us know the Lord and know what he has done for us and for them? If we say we know the Lord, do we really know them? Do we really know him? Will our children really know him? In what ways do we know him? In what ways will our children know him? Simply as savior and nothing else? I think God deserves more than that. Not just being savior. When we come to him when we're in trouble. He deserves more than that. And I want to challenge our hearts as our hearts tend to wander. Bind us, Lord. Bind us to you. Bind our hearts to you. How intimate is our relationship? How intimate is my relationship? How intimate is your relationship with him? What about the next generation? How intimate will their relationship be because they learned and saw and caught it from us? Philippians 3.10 says, All that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and be in fellowship to his suffering. That's what he's calling us, to be one with him. That's what the next generation needs. Is a generation, a Joshua type of generation that walks with the Lord. And is, and, but the problem here, the difference here is that this generation that walks with the Lord should be a generation that is able to let the younger generation catch it from them. Othaniel was old. God does not care about your age. Senior citizens, 
God has got something still for you. Othaniel was from the older stock. And God used him to conquer. God has got a pepper still. As long as you have breath in your lungs. It's his breath. He has a purpose for it. Use it for him. May the next generation catch it from us. May we give them. Or we, may we pass to them a baby that is alive. May we not pass them a dummy. May we pass to them a baby that is alive in our walk with the Lord. Do we really know him? Will they know him?